You are in the ring with Hector Galon, seven-time national boxing champion turned nonprofit president and CEO. Hector knocks out the big issues facing social services today with high-impact leaders from around the U.S. In the Ring is a creation of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and is produced by No Studios. And now, here's Hector Galon. Hello, 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 and welcome to In the Ring with Hector Colon, the show that gets real about the challenges facing the social services sector and the people we serve. Here's the bottom line. Pay is not commensurate to the value our colleagues provide society. Programs and policies are not evolving quick enough in order to address the true needs of the people we serve, and the financial viability of our sector is in jeopardy. It's not a fair fight. That's why this year we're going to take on these issues with people at the center of these challenges, true champions who are willing to get into the ring with me. First, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, M3 Insurance, who is a great sponsor of this program, but also a great partner and and colleague that we have here at LSS. We are so grateful uh, to them. And now... As my coach Short used to say, let's go, champ. In the ring with me today is the 2022 Leadership Award winners designated through Lutheran Services in America, a national network of 300 Lutheran organizations that reaches one in 50 Americans. LSS is proud to be a part of this network, which covers 1,400 communities in 45 states, with a combined revenue of $23 billion. That's really big. And with me today are three outstanding individuals that are a part of this network. First up is Christian Peck, President and CEO of Lutheran Social Services of, Na- uh, of the National Capital Area, serving Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Christian was awarded the LSA's MICA Award for leading the way addressing justice, mercy, and equity. Next is Miriam Baldini, here with us who serves as the president and CEO of Kencrest, out of Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Marion received the Paragon Award for her exceptional gift of spotting potential in people and lifting up the next group of leaders. I'm also pleased to have Kelly uh, Dobner, who is here, who is the chief advancement officer of, of Samaritus in, in Michigan. Kelly collaborated with Sam Beals, president and CEO, to design the program that won their organization LSA's Innovator Award, which recognizes pioneering solutions, technology, and business practices to solve complex problems. Congratulations to all of you. I'm so honored to be your peer in Lutheran Services in America and I'm equally grateful that you could be a part of this podcast here today. Thank you all for joining me. Okay, are you ready for round one? Ready for round one, Acker. I've been training for this. All right, bring it on. So why don't we start off with, just tell me a little bit about your organization and how you empower people in your community. Uh, so I want to start off with Kelly then Kristen, and then Miriam, please. You bet. You bet. Well, I'm putting my gloves on for round one here, Hector. So let's, oh, let, let's go. Let's go. All um, right. 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 
So a little bit about Samaritas. We uh, we serve Michigan throughout the entire state, up to 20,000 people every year throughout the state in a variety of programs from what we call cradle to glory, mm-hmm. right? So everything from family preservation, foster care, adoption, refugee services, disability services, affordable living, uh, senior care, and a little bit of everything in between, including uh, substance use disorder services and behavioral health. We really look to empower other people can be seen in our logo, which you can't see here. But if you did, you would see two ripples around the S of Samaritas. And that was very intentional. Mm-hmm. Our mantra is be the rock that starts a ripple. And that ripple is a ripple of positive transformation across our communities. And so that is our call to action always with everybody, whether that's that's donors, whether it's our staff, whether it's our, our partners or the people in our care is we invite you to be the rock that starts a ripple because whether you're the rock or the ripple, you know, you, you drop it, it goes deep and your ripple goes on for forever and ever touching people's lives in the most positive way possible. And when you help people reach their full potential, they in turn help other people uh, to become um, their best selves and reach their full potential as well. And everything that we do is really designed around that mantra and lifting people up and, and being their best selves. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate that uh, um, good background of your of you and your organization. Appreciate it very much. How about Kristen? Well, first of all, Hector, I just wanted to thank you so much for having me on. It is such an honor to be here amongst such inspiring uh, group of leaders. Thank you. Um, and I'm the CEO of Lutheran Social Services in the National Capital Area, or LSSNCA, and we've served the greater Washington, D.C. area since 1917. Mm. And we're motivated by our vision of creating an inclusive community of well-being where people thrive. Mm -hmm. And we create this community every day by welcoming people who are fleeing violence and persecution in their home countries and who are seeking safety and protection in the United States, by providing foster care to unaccompanied children who are seeking refuge. And we also empower young people in the D.C. metro area through mentorship, summer camps, and provision of an evidence-based curriculum on healthy relationships. And really what we do is we meet people at some of the most vulnerable points in their lives, and we journey alongside them, Mm. helping them build skills to increase their resilience and by providing case management, employment, and other psychosocial services, and then really helping connect them with community. We really believe in fostering those long-term connections with community. Thank you so much, Kristen. Again, just an outstanding organization, outstanding leader. I appreciate you being on, on the show with us here today. How about Marion? Uh, you're next up. So, Marion, this is a big problem for me, Hector, because the boxing bell is the alarm on my uh, phone that tells me when to run. All right. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm liable to get up and take off, and then it goes off again. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really um, pleased to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, Kincrest has been around over 116 years. Right now, what we do is help children get a great start with early childhood learning. Um, so we serve about 900 children from low-income families, and uh, whether they're typically developing or not, um, we give them a great introduction to school and help them love learning so they'll be ready for kindergarten. We also help babies um, beginning at birth who are just not typically developing, getting over those developmental challenges. And we actually serve thousands of children in that birth to five program, we call it. And then for adults with disabilities, we help them find a meaningful life, whether that's 
living independently or getting a job or just being close to each other and in, in, in good community of inclusion. So that's our mission. We serve about 12,000 people a year, and we serve in Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Connecticut. Wow. Thank you so much again. This is a really powerful group. So happy to have you all uh, here today. So the next question, uh, if you could please share a story of impact. Uh, let's start off with uh, you, Kelly. Uh, why did you and Samaritus receive the Innovator Award? What were the challenges you faced? How did you tackle them? And what were the results? We are so excited to receive the news that we had been awarded the Innovator Award. Uh, that is one of our core values at Samaritas is innovation. So it really struck us at our core and, and we try and make that a part of everything that we do. And one of the challenges that we were seeing in our community as uh, you know, we serve seniors, both in an affordable living uh, kind of community and in assisted, independent memory care and skilled nursing capacity as well. And we were seeing the age of people uh, that were coming into our care increase um, significantly, the average age. And at the same time, we were seeing increase in, increases in the number of people that were coming to us with dementia, um, some stage along the way uh, of dementia. And so we designed a program uh, called the Samaritas Cares Program. And it, it, it had multiple stages. So one is the training of our staff within the, the dementia-capable care model and making sure that we had resident experts that would then engage in a train the train the model, a train the trainer model throughout Samaritas. From there, we wanted to partner and did so very successfully with a number of other organizations also serving seniors, PACE as one of them, PACE uh, Care Resources in particular, mm -hmm. uh, to train all of their caregivers in the senior space around dementia-capable dementia care. And that wasn't enough because that's that's fine. But you might ask, well, what, where's the innovation, you know, to that? Not only are you serving yourself, but others. But because we were in a time of COVID and knew that this could last beyond COVID, we introduced the idea of assisted reality into this. And so we partnered with Google and we partnered with a company in the Netherlands uh, called One Minute for the software that that um, worked together with that assisted technology, reality technology. So we had glasses that we would send off to formal and informal caregivers so we could see what the caregiver was seeing in their natural environment as they're providing care for someone with dementia. And our trained experts would stay where they were, be able to see what they were seeing wherever that happened to be. And that just created a whole nother level of care and comfort for those caregivers and certainly the people um, in their care to be able to do that. And we did that across the board. So we, mm -hmm. did, we did a lot of shipping of glasses um, across West wow. Michigan in particular. Um, and then that expanded across the state from there. It was a two-year program. Um, and the results were, were incredible. Um, we saw some of the things that we really cared about is we wanted to see the care level, the caregiver stress level decrease. And across the board, 35% um, uh, of the, the caregivers in the first six weeks saw a decline in their stress. And those numbers just continued to increase um, of number of people that had decreased uh, stress mm -hmm. levels. But with these numbers, it was really exciting to see. Um, and as in the technology capabilities increase and become better and better with these partners, um, the need is definitely there and certainly the results. 
Well, thank you so much, uh, Kelly. I really appreciate that. And just, uh, to, I, I really like the humility and how you not only want to be an expert, but you also want to help others. And so this is not just about you, it's it's about others. I love the collaboration with individuals like Google. This is not something we always hear uh, in our sector. So congratulations and, and just your overall results. So thank you uh, for sharing that. Um, Kristen, uh, same question uh, to you, if you could share, you know, what did you do, um, you know, and what were the challenges you faced? Uh, what did, how did you tackle them and what were the results? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I just wanted to thank Lutheran Services in America. It was such an honor for our team to receive the MICA Award, which represents leadership in addressing justice and equity and and those are really core values for us at LSS and CA. And so, um, you know, this this is an award for our whole team and recognizes the incredible work that um, that that my team on the front lines did. Um, so, to put the story into context, the fall of Afghanistan came at a time when LSS and CA was rebuilding our refugee program after the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program was dismantled during the previous administration, and. In August of 2021, within days of the fall of Kabul um, to the Taliban, Afghan allies began arriving on our doorstep in need of our assistance. Mm -hmm. um, many have connections in the D.C. metro area, so we saw a, a very high number. And many arrived wearing the clothes that they wore on their backs when they left their homes in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, we had people arriving to our office who had chronic illnesses like diabetes, we had women arriving who were nine months pregnant, mm -hmm. um, people who had blood, uh, high blood pressure and had um, didn't have access to their medication for days or weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. They were hungry. They were tired. And this was all before they were eligible for any government-funded services or benefits mm -hmm. or before um, we had the funding to support their resettlement efforts. Um, so, so the challenges were uh, fundraising and operations. Um, you know, we had to quickly fundraise and develop new partnerships to meet the gap. Um, and we also, when this, this uh, response began, we had a staff of 65. Our infrastructure had been decimated by the previous administration. And we'd been serving 500 people a month through our refugee program. I'm sorry, 500 people a year. And we're now being asked to serve 500 a month. And so we had to staff up and scale up rapidly. We were working around the clock. When new staff started, there wasn't very little time for training and onboarding, but we rolled with the punches, so to speak, and we put a call out <laughs> to our community to welcome our new neighbors. We yeah. hosted town halls, and we were really clear on what our needs were, and we asked for help. Mm. Um, we developed a partnership with the Jewish Community Center, which was around the corner from our Fairfax, Virginia office, and they provided showers to anyone who arrived who was in need of a shower. We uh, developed partnerships with local Afghan restaurants, and they developed, or, or sorry, they delivered hot halal uh, meals to our office. So when people came into our office, we were able to give them a hot meal. And we worked with hospitals and medical clinics to host mass vaccination clinics so that um, adults and children could be vaccinated and that we could quickly ensure that the kids could be enrolled in school. Um, our call for in-kind donations resulted in Amazon trucks coming to our office every hour and they were packed. 
we were literally working around towers in between towers of in-kind donations. And we had to call in a professional volunteer organization to really help us um, take inventory and manage our in-kind donations. But we were able to supply uh, our new families, the, the newly arrived Afghan families, with all the things they needed to set up their first homes. We really became known in the Afghan communities providing and providing services to and supporting Afghans. And that allowed us to develop long-term partnerships with Muslim-led groups and veteran-led groups. And we piloted a new community partnership with the State Department to allow us to expand our services by bringing Afghan and veteran uh, communities to create long-term connections to Afghan allies along their journey as they resettle in America. And so because of our dedicated team and this outpouring of generosity from our community, we welcomed more Afghan allies than any other single resettlement agency on the East Coast. And we resettled 4,500 in one year. And this was after four years of resettling 500 people annually. And so this was was quite a feat. And, um, you know, I I think we're all very proud of the work we did. To us, it felt like um, this was the only the only thing to do when we were seeing the images of of people fleeing their homes. Thank you so much, uh, Kristen. I really appreciate that. And like you said, all of us uh, saw the news when we saw those individuals fleeing um, in desperation for hope and freedom, clinging onto that airplane and eventually falling to their death. You know, at, at Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, we also had similar experiences. Uh, serving those individuals from Afghanistan um, on top of the other refugees that we're serving. And similarly, we had an outpouring of support, of generosity that really allowed us to give these individuals an opportunity to live here uh, in peace and prosperity and and, and freedom. Uh, so thank you so much for really rising to the occasion and, and serving uh, so many people above and beyond what you normally have done on an annual basis. Thank you so much. Uh, Miriam, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with the Paragon Award uh, and address the same questions. What were the challenges you faced? How did you tackle them? And what were the results? Um, Well, the Paragon Award was actually named in honor of the life and work of Ken Daly, who was a board member of... um, Lutheran Services of America, and also had been involved in corporate governance um, for many, many years. And I knew him. Um, he's He was an amazing man, a, a mentor and a leader. Um, and he really was probably one of those great executive coaches. Um, so I have to say I was a little stunned <laughs> um, because I don't go around thinking of myself in the terms of Ken Gale Daly, but here I am. Um, the, the award was uh, really about the work that I've been doing with leaders um, to raise them up as leaders. So um, what I've been doing since I've been at Ken Crest, it'll be seven years soon, has been to create an environment where everyone is expected to lead themselves and aligning them all to lead in the same direction. Um, Ken Crest had a great history of innovation. We were one of the significant leaders in advancing the right to education for children with special needs Um, way back when um, children were not entitled to school. Um, But episodic innovation isn't going to work anymore. Um, Now, more than ever, the challenges are coming at us with no warning, no funding, um, 
no notice. To, you know, the pandemic was sort of out of nowhere. We had to get in the ring right away. Um, so here we are, um, and we've, we're faced with all these challenges. How are we going to um, thrive in conditions like this? So I really needed to raise up leaders. One of the greatest challenges is to keep up with all the innovation, um, because at this point, um, the administrative folks are innovating, the program folks are innovating, um, and the board is innovating. So the board has created an innovation process where every year we have a grant application and any employee in the organization can submit a new idea and have that independently considered by the board um, as something that they wanna do. Um, and then the board will fund it. And they're funding about half a million dollars a year in innovation um, through that process. One of the coolest ideas was submitted by one of our administrative assistants and it was day sharing. So her idea was to find seniors in the community who just wanted to spend the day doing something they really enjoyed with someone else. Um, so we have been out there finding these folks, pairing them up with individuals with disabilities, basically to hang out, hang out over whatever it is they want, play cards, you know, garden, do some community service, whatever, um, with the idea that if we all could find ways to be of service to one another, the problems in the community would be that much smaller. So it's really all about the, the leadership. So it's a little embarrassing to get an award just to say it's just not my nature, but, um, but I was really honored to be, to be chosen to um, reflect Ken's beliefs as well. Well, thank you so much, uh, Marianne, and, and all of you for the inspiration you are imparting to all of us uh, in this podcast. We appreciate it uh, so much. So that completes round one. Uh, in round two, we're going to talk about how our guests are leveraging their recognition to empower others and strengthen our sector. But first, a word from our sponsor. All right. Are you ready for round two? Let's jump right ready. in. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Miriam, I want to start with you this time. Uh, how are you leveraging this award uh, and your work uh, to empower others? Um, well, it's really keeping me on course for what where I started. So we're just expanding a little bit on that. But the biggest thing I've done lately has been speaking at conferences on the power of language in leadership. Um, I just spoke recently at um, a statewide conference, and I think people have to be careful about their language because our language can either take the energy out of the room or put the energy in. So we all read a book um, about a year ago called Turn the Ship Around, and it talks about the power of language and really helping people have two kinds of work, red work and blue work. 
Red is technical and blue is creative. So I think if everyone has red and blue, um, everyone can be a leader in their own right and will release the power of all the talent we have in our organizations. Thank you, Mary. And I, I'd like to learn more about that. I'm definitely uh, will pick up that book. Uh, the power of language, I, I agree, is 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 very important. You can destroy someone's soul, or you can lift them up and inspire them to to do great things. Uh, so thank you for what you're doing there, uh, Kristen. Um, what is important uh, to lift up uh, for the work for others uh, and their organization? I'm sorry. Why is it important to lift up the work uh, of leaders and their organizations? You know. I think it's so important to remind ourselves that we're not in this alone and that we don't have the, all the answers and that that's okay. Um, around this time last year, I was at the Lutheran Financial Management Association Conference, and that was during my organization's response to the Afghan refugee crisis. And I stood up and I asked the room who else was responding to the Afghan refugee crisis because I wanted to learn. And my questions for the group of financial leaders included things like, how are you strategically scaling your financial department? What does it look like at different funding levels? And where are you finding success in recruiting um, finance positions right now during this uh, workforce shortage? And how are you adjusting your fundraising targets, given that the population we were all serving um, arrived with humanitarian parole status rather than refugee status. And that's a longer road to permanency. Mm -hmm. And by sharing my experience and hearing from others, um, it really helped uh, me take back some lessons from some of our other uh, Lutheran colleagues. And I just, I just think that that learning is so important so that we're not reinventing the wheel and that we're all reminded that we can reach out to each other and that we're not alone. Thank you, uh, Kristen. That's why this network is so powerful because we can share with one another, uh, learn from one another, and um, and there's lots of humility. We want each other to be better, and uh, that's the strength uh, of this network. Um, and you know, when you th I, when you said that you know Afghanistan, this was new, and there were a lot of questions that uh, you had because you didn't have the answers. I think about COVID too, right? Uh, there was no playbook. I mean, here we are, it's a pandemic and everything's shut down and like, what do you do? And so it, we had to rise together uh, as people, as organizations, as community, as networks to be able to address those significant challenges. Uh, so thank you. Kelly, I want to come to you now. Uh, how can this benefit and strengthen the social services sector? Yeah, well, like you said, the last couple of years, if they've taught us nothing, it's to expect the unexpected and be nimble and uh, continuously work and learn and be together. And for me, those are some of the strongest takeaways that that I've garnered, not only from the last couple of years, but certainly through this experience and and the program that I spoke about earlier that that was highlighted for our, the Innovator Award. Um, you know, the three key things there for me is collaboration um, and collaboration first. I, I think we're always you know, in the in the nonprofit uh, on the nonprofit side of things. We're always looking at as many re to find as many resources as we can with limited resources ourselves to go find them. 
And when we realize that we can be stronger together and collaboration is the answer to so many things um, in sharing resources um, and and knowledge, I think that, that that's huge. That's that's game changing right there. So and I'm hearing similar things from you today, uh, Kristen and Marion, and I'm just so honored to be here with with both of you. And Kristen, like you were saying, learning from each other and being okay um, with being vulnerable and not knowing all of the answers and calling that out. Let's name that. And, and we, we can, we just rise together in that, in that space. So collaboration to me is key. And then again, sharing those resources and knowledge, um, is, is huge. There's no point, um, in keeping it to yourselves when we're all serving the same type of people, um, with the same issues and challenges. So, um, that is huge. And with that comes workforce development, um, we have to provide as many opportunities as we can for our workforce to, to, to strengthen, to, to continuously improve, to, to grow and thrive. And that goes back to my first point. And we help each other reach our full potential, and we're going to in turn help others to reach theirs. And to me, those are those are my biggest my biggest takeaways um, that will benefit our sector as a whole. Thank you, Kelly, for for sharing that. You know, the sharing of resources um, amongst uh, other organizations, maybe they're like organizations. Uh, sometimes we view them as competitors or other organizations that are outside uh, us. But um, I really like when you say that we should share resources and share our expertise and because we're all in this together, right? We want to improve the health and well-being of those who have incredible odds stacked up against them. You know, could I just want to expand on that a little bit. Could you share a little bit more about uh, sharing of resources and what that what that meant and and how you went about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there I'll say starting with the COVID crisis um which you know, we we saw as part of this de- dementia capable care piece um, you know, sharing, do you all remember? I mean, I think I said PPE every other word um, a couple of years ago because there was such a shortage. And, you know, through that, because we were caring for seniors in particular, there was a shortage of everything. And and if you didn't share resources, other people were left without. And we couldn't let that happen. We're we're, we're faith-based organizations. That is not who we are, right, in so many ways. And so uh, that alone, I mean, it's it's one of the simplest ways, I think, that we saw that happen most immediately. But sharing what we had, what, what was ours, could also be yours and likewise. And I'll tell you, there have been times, um, not only with PPE, but staffing um, opportunities and, and that knowledge factor. Here's what I've learned, not only from a, a formal training opportunity, but hey, this is what we just experienced. I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but yeah, but I wanted to reach out and share this with you in case you haven't. And, and this is how we handled it. Learn from this. And please invite that back, that coaching, that feedback back to us as well. And some of the faces, I'll tell you, when we first started doing that, that I saw, that was a first that that had been happening. Um, you know, we we tend to to silo ourselves in some t- in some ways. And if there's no, don't waste a good crisis, right? And and that's one of the things that I learned through here is just opening the door and seeing the shock on faces and maybe some of our staff being just as shocked when the door was open to us 
um, as well. But that door is not closing again. I can see that already. Um, we're in a different world. And and I think that is the, the biggest game changer that, that I've seen in sharing all of those things, physical things, knowledge, experience, staff. Um, and I think we're at the beginning of, of a lot of significant changes with that last piece alone. Thank you, Kelly. I, I agree with you. During, during COVID, uh, refugee, uh, a lot of these uh, crises that, that uh, came up over the last couple of years has really uh, made us come together in powerful ways than uh, maybe we haven't experienced in, in years past. So, uh, But again, it's very common in this network, Lutheran Services in America, that we work really well together. We want to support one another uh, because we're in this together. So uh, thank you. That completes round two. In round three, my guests are going to dig deeper into the greatest challenges of our sector, how they are addressing those challenges, and what, if any, hope they can share about the future of social services in America. Okay, are you ready for round three? Let's go. I've got another round left. Bring it on. All right. So what would you say are the greatest challenges of our sector uh, and your organization today? And in what ways are you and your organizations addressing these challenges? Uh, I want to start off with uh, Miriam. I think our biggest challenge is that we don't know what we want to be yet. So when I look around and I see the Lutheran agencies, the one thing that's most exciting is that we do live servant leadership. And servant leadership says that everyone in our community, regardless of their age, as someone said, cradle to to whenever, um, is, is all our concern. Whether you were born here or not born here, regardless of your faith, um, we're all in it for you. Um, and when I think about it, if we could join ourselves as servant leaders and help create a better vision for what we want this community to be, we would then be more aligned when we take action to independently do our part to make things happen. And I think really servant leadership is the guide for that, regardless of what kind of work you do, regardless of whether it's a for-profit company or a non-profit company, that commitment to being part of a community that serves and part of a community that lifts everyone up is really what's going to be necessary. And I believe there is enough money in our world to do it, and there are enough people to do it if we decide what it is we want to do. Well, thank you, Marian. And uh, certainly Lutheran Services in America is a great network to, to facilitate that, that conversation. Also is filled uh, with servant leaders. Uh, But I also want to offer up that this podcast, I have uh, brought in many outstanding leaders such as yourselves, and we're getting great insights, and and hopefully uh, we can have some common themes and and, uh, a vision to move forward uh, so that the sector is thriving, Uh, because right now uh, the financial viability is is in jeopardy. The people that we serve have lots of challenges. And so hopefully we're going to learn together uh, through this podcast and and really move forward in ways that are going to make our our world better. Uh, So thank you, uh, uh, Marion. Kelly, uh, same question. Uh, Greatest challenges of our sector uh, and your organization and what are 
And in what ways are you and your organization addressing those challenges? Yeah, yeah, that's that is that's a challenge in and of itself is focusing on one or a couple uh, of those challenges. But with challenges always come opportunities. And and that's how I like to look at look at that. Um, you know, for us, like so many, uh, you know, I think our organization, our sector is dealing with a staffing crisis. Uh, we cannot hire enough people. We cannot hire fast enough. Uh, because of so much of the work that we that we do and the services we provide are contract based in a lot of ways, um, we and I'm teeing you up, Kristen, for your part. Um, you know, is that with our those kind of I'll call them limitations with with how it is currently defined. Um, you know, we we know that we need to to pay people beyond what what is in a contract um you know and so what does that look like how do we change that we have to change that we can't compete otherwise um and and that's that's a problem in, in a lot of ways because people come to work for an organization like ours or in our sector because they want to serve they want to give back they're drawn to the mission and and I think that we have to do a lot of work, uh, a lot of innovation, uh, collaboration, and outside of the box, not to be cliche, thinking about how do we address this? You know, are we, do we design program um, rather than just, um, you know, fulfill contracts, if you will? And I think, I think we're on the cusp of something really big when it comes to, comes to that, that those tables are changing. And the staffing that goes along with that is, more than a byproduct of that, but it, it's central uh, to what that looks like. And at Samaritas, one of our core values is people first. And we are an industry and a sector of people serving people. And when you're looking at um, how do we do that best and the funding streams that support that, when you're up against funding streams that don't always like to support salaries mm -hmm. or hazard pay, if we call it that, during times of crisis, or when we have to build up our infrastructure to deal with yet another crisis. We're coming out of COVID. We have refugees at our doorsteps, and we don't have the infrastructure in place to accommodate that. How do we quickly become nimble enough with the resources we need to accommodate that? So, um, and then the, the social unrest that's happened as another big factor that we're all contending with in our sector. Um, and, and the idea of idea, inclusion, diversity, equity, and action, which is a huge focus for us at Samaritas, and I know as a sector as well. How does that relate into staffing? You know, how are we hiring people that have the same experiences and perspectives of the people that we serve? And we want to do that. We need to do that. And so when you when you take that into consideration with the funding models that are currently available to be able to hire the best and brightest and then keep those people in engage uh, engaged with career paths, um, that's a challenge and an opportunity. And there's probably more than one challenge and opportunity that I just talked about. But um, mm -hmm. there's a lot to a lot for us to, to tackle there as a sector. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. And I know all of us, not just in our sector, but all sectors right now are having huge challenges with staffing. But I think our sector, uh, it's even more of a challenge because of, like you said, uh, the low reimbursement rates we get from our contracts and this idea that people don't want to pay for salaries. Sometimes our funders, they don't want to support government contracts or, or salaries and they want to do new things. And there are just so many challenges. For us at LSS, 
We have invested millions of dollars, and we're trying to make our colleagues our number one priority because without them, uh, we can't do anything. But it is extremely challenging due to the funding situation all of us are experiencing uh, in our sector. Uh, Kristen, tell us uh, about the challenges in your organization and what you are doing to address those challenges. Sure. You know, I want to pick up on something that Marion said about identity, and we're still trying to figure out who we are. And that just really stuck with me because the challenge I want to talk about is uh, funding streams and diversifying funding sources. And when I reflect back on our response to the Afghan refugee crisis, uh, we were really vulnerable when that started. And we were vulnerable because in the preceding years, um, our infrastructure was dismantled when the National Refugee Program was dismantled. And that's a problem. And that's something that I never want to happen again. And when I think about that question of who are we, um, I think that if you are, I'm also a big fan of Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And when you focus your sustainability and uh, fundraising plans on your why and why you do what you do, it opens so much more then when you focus your plans based on the what and how. And I think that when we were strongly identifying as a resettlement agency, and that was who we were and what we did, um, it narrowed our focus in terms of programming that we could provide. Um, and it created for us such a dependence on um, one stream of funding that when that was no longer available to us, it created a lot of risk for our organization. And so one of the things I'm working with um, our board on and our development team on is uh, clearer, um, you know, policy guidance on succession planning. So if we are ever in a situation like that again, what are uh, mission critical positions that we cannot do without? Because what happens in nonprofits often is when you lose the federal funding or you lose the funding, um, uh, that's often helping to support really critical positions like performance and quality improvement, mm. like human resources, um, like, uh, you know, and then, and then you, you look at your development staff, you know, we can't spend any money on development right now, when really these are positions that are really critical for the success of the organization. And if we had, would have had those positions when we started our response to the Afghan refugee crisis, we would have been much better positioned. We instead were having to rebuild our infrastructure as we were responding, which, which was incredibly challenging. So I just think we need to look at our why and um, center our goals um, uh, around our why. And then that really uh, opens up a lot of lanes for us to diversify uh, funding streams and partnerships and looking at, you know, for us, it, that means, um, you know, looking beyond resettlement and really looking at well-being. And what does it mean for the people we are serving um, to, as our, our as our vision is, um, to be thriving and um, a community, a thriving community of well-being? What does that really mean, and how do we get there? And what does that open up for us in terms of different um, program lines and then funding streams? Um, and then again, making sure that we have really clear succession plans and contingency plans for continuing to invest in mission critical positions if that happens. Thank you so much, Kristen. Uh, this um, this idea of diversification is is so important. Uh, our sector is too reliant on government. Uh, for us at LSS, we're about eighty five percent relying on government, and we are also trying to diversify 
our revenue streams with uh, tax credit developments and healthcare partnerships and working with insurance around those individuals that are poor outcomes and uh, heavy utilizers of costly services. So we're trying to do some of those things as well. I think it's really important. And I also want to hit on, on one of your points about overhead. Um, so you need quality. You need HR. You need IT. You need development. By the way, development is is not overhead. It's really a you you make money when you when you hire your your development team. But uh, I think our sector has unrealistic expectations as it relates to um, um, the need and the uh, the the limitations. Like some grants, you have to have ten percent. They they only give you a there's a ten percent cap on overhead. And I think it's just, it's hard to operate with excellence with just 10%. Uh, so thank you for, for raising that. If each of you could take about 30 seconds, because we want to wrap this up, but what brings you hope about our sector uh, moving forward uh, into next year? There's a lot that brings me hope. This session, these conversations are what bring me hope. Mm. Um, the fact that we have all been running around with our hair on fire for years, um, you know, and, and are starting to, I think, you know, say come out of that in, in, in some ways, right? I don't know that we're always ever out of it, but the understanding and what I'm seeing of people taking time um, to be still, uh, I think is really something that inspires me because I'm really bad at that. Mm. Um, and and I, I see other people being very intentional with that, being still with themselves, being still with their, their personal time and making time for that because they're healthier. And when you are, when you can model that for others, our, our teams, our other organizations, uh, then, then our staff does the same thing. Um, our teams do the same thing and they then become healthier people and healthier people are happier people and they are serving other people in better ways. And we are a stronger community as a result. And so it's a it's a simple hope. Um, it's a simple thing that I'm seeing, but it's something that I am definitely trying to make time to do and preach to others to to be still and uh, take time for yourself and take time to celebrate the small things because the small things build upon each other to bigger things. And before you realize it, there's a great big thing in front of you to celebrate. And and to me, that's that's what I think we need to do. It's good for the soul. It's good for relationships. It's good for our community um, all around. Thank you, Kelly. Kristen, what brings you hope? So one of the things that gave me, me hope in this past year was just seeing communities and groups that came together that hadn't before. Um, I think the visibility of the crisis uh, in Afghanistan um, to Americans, given our long involvement in that country and the fact that many of us have worked and served alongside Afghans, really made the face of that refugee story so relatable to, to many of our neighbors. And, you know, I just think this is more important than ever right now as we have the highest number of refugees globally in history. And throughout my career, I have not seen the outpouring of support um, for refugees that I saw uh, in this past year. Um, aisles were crossed, bridges were built, new partners came to the table. And it really gives me hope that those communities who are called to welcome will continue to answer that call as our new neighbors face new life transitions, as we continue to welcome refugees from other parts of the world, 
And really, you know, after two years of the pandemic, it was just so refreshing um, to, to be engaged in community in that way and to be working alongside folks in that way. And so, um, yeah, I, I think community is what gives me hope right now. Awesome. Thank you so much. Miriam, what gives you hope? So in the last couple of months, two of my op-eds have been published where I'm trying to get people to change the conversation because I do believe the United States has all the money it needs. It's just not distributed properly. So I'm very excited because I got selected um, after those op-eds. I'm sure that helped um, to sit on a statewide commission to talk about policy, about how we're going to adequately fund and support people with disabilities and take care of those workers. So I'm really pretty excited about that. I also like the fact that I can run in half marathons again, just saying that little boxing bell on my phone um, does go off and makes me want to move. Um, um, and that's really exciting too. But I do have hope for the system because I do think the money is there. We just have to move it around. Awesome. Thank you. And I don't know about running a half marathon, but I'll jump rope with you. So uh, last question, if um, so, how are you knocking out? How have you been knocking out 2022 personally and professionally? Kelly? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I um, I have been knocking out 2022 by, you know, kind of going back with what, what filled me up with with hope. And I'm going to marry that a little bit with what you said, Kristen, because um, that in, in the same way is, you know, being with people, I guess, is how I'm knocking out 2022 is, um, you know, people first, building community. Like you said, I've, I've not seen people come out the way they've come out before. I mean, when when this when the Afghan crisis happened and the Ukraine crisis happened, it's happening, you know, we, we formed what we called a network and that network just continues to grow and it's not stopping. And I'm so excited to be a part of that. And I'm going to continue that. Uh, we're at the end of 2022 and how I'm knocking this year out is going to be how I knock out in 2023 as as well. It's, it's, it is about network and community and being together. Awesome. Thank you. Marian. Um, so we're in the process of developing new and better leadership development plans. So that's really a pretty exciting part of our year end, uh, finding ways in which we can make sure that people are growing and putting their talents to to work. So I'm really excited about that. So that's kind of my my knockout for 2022. Great. Thank you, Kristen. So we're we're coming off after a year of crisis and our team just working around the clock. And so um, you know, the rest of 2022 for us is focused on one of our five strategic goals, which is invest in each other um, and really finding ways to invest in our team, develop our team. Um, you know, I want to retain all the excellent talent that we built. We went from a team last year of 65 we now have um, 170 and we're headed to 240 in the next year. But I want to make sure that alongside our growth, we are also looking at all the ways we can build a culture. My, my goal is we are the best place to work in the D.C. metro area in 2025. And we have some some work to do in terms of building um, our, uh, our culture so that we can um, have a really strong culture of performance development and performance growth and investing in our team. And I, I think about a lot how I can model that as a leader. And, um, you know, I think for me that that also looks like, uh, you know, modeling for my team that it's okay to take time when you're sick. Uh, it's okay to take your vacations and that we don't want you to work. And so 
Um, for me to model that for them, I have to practice it. <laughs> and I had some practice this past fall. I, um, my husband and I went on vacation and it took everything in me to leave the laptop at home that I did. And it's a really beautiful thing to see that, um, you know, when you step away and you take your fingers off from holding the ball, that your team comes in and they support it and they hold it for you. Um, and I think that's just a really healthy exercise. And I, I left and I came back and I missed my team and I felt refreshed. And so um, I think that's important for us as leaders is to, uh, when we're talking about self-care, to, to, to walk the walk and, and in addition to talking the talk, because our team looks at us. And if we're, if we're responding to emails and we say we're away or when we say that we're sick, um, they're, you know, they're going to do the same. And then we're going to, and so I want to make sure that we are, um, we're creating space for people to have and take care of themselves and their own families. Oh, thank you so much for that, uh, final advice. I, I think that's really important. Uh, I think my wife would appreciate if I left the laptop during <laughs> vacations too. So, uh, I'm going to take that advice and, and try to do that. And I'm sure my wife will be very happy, but, but more importantly, it, it, it is right that that's the example we're setting for uh, the rest of our colleagues. Uh, so thank you for for that in uh, that advice. You guys were an absolute knockout. Thank you so much for being a part of this. This concludes in the ring with Hector Colon. I'm so appreciative of of you being involved with me uh, here today, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you soon at Lutheran Services in America CEO Conference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those guests were absolutely outstanding. Uh, I just want to recap on a few of the big points that they shared. You know, this idea of humility. Uh, we don't always have all the answers, especially, you know, with this Afghanistan crisis and, and COVID where we didn't have a playbook. We had to have uh, humility and r rely on one another. And uh, we didn't always have the answers. Uh, so I thought that was a great insight. You know, it was really impressive. Some of the partners that they mentioned that you don't always mention that are not always heard when we're having conversations in our sector, uh, Google, Lyft, Air, Airbnb, Amazon. So all of them uh, shared with uh, us about those different partners that they had uh, during these difficult times. I really like the idea of the board uh, is innovating and asking colleagues to submit ideas. And then one of those ideas are they move forward with on an annual basis. I want to take that idea and bring it back to our organization as well. We talked about the power of language and how uh, words matter and how, they're, how they are said uh, matters. So that is something that I think all of us can learn from. We're not alone. We're in this together. We saw our sector really rise to the occasion to serve those who have incredible odds stacked up against them, the Afghanistan uh, situation, just COVID, uh, so many challenges, the civil unrest, the political unrest that we've uh, um, experienced over the last couple of years. Uh, but we're not alone. We're in this together. And, and a lot of the, those situations, we really didn't have a playbook, which really relied us to come together and support one another. We need to be nimble, uh, collaboration, sharing resources. That is what we need to do, and that was what was shared uh, here today. 
uh, this idea of having a joint vision so that we can be stronger collectively together moving forward in the same direction. Some of the challenges on staffing, it's really hard in our sector right now with staffing. You know, contracts don't cover the full cost um, for our colleagues. You know, some funders don't want to support salaries or staff. And so it's really hard. We need to be really creative, but really vocal about paying our staff, our colleagues, commensurate to the value they provide. So all of them touched on that as well. This uh, idea of overhead and how our sector, I think, is unfairly targeted for um, the expectation that we have really low overhead. Our sector needs quality. We need IT. We need HR. These are important core functions that support our mission. And so they shared a little bit about that. Uh, And lastly, they shared about hope. Hope because we have each other. Hope uh, because they 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 saw how we are investing in one another. And I want to just end off with hope because we love uh, one another. So all of these individuals are so capable and so deserving of these awards, and I'm so glad that they could be a part of this podcast. Speaking of Caregiver Awards, earlier this month, my organization inaugurated the LSS Caregiver Hero Award in honor of Marty Schreiber, inspired by the former Wisconsin governor and author of My Two Elaines, the award recognizes one or more caregivers of persons living with chronic disease or persistent cognitive or physical illnesses. I wish to congratulate our 2022 award recipient, Luther Holm. You can learn more by going to the news and events page on our website at lsswis.org. Thank you again to our sponsor, M3 Insurance. You can find out more about In the Ring with Hector Colon Podcast, our guests, and and other episodes on our website at lsswis.org slash in the ring. Let us know what you think about the show and what you want to see in future episodes. Please like, follow, and share at lsswis on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any of these important conversations in the future. All right. Thank you to our guests and to all of our listeners. Until next time, con mucho cariño, with much affection. Bye.